really special. And so uh, it's good that you are all with us. Now, Ron has touched so many of our lives. God's used him in so many rich, wonderful ways. How many of you have been touched by God through Pastor Ron? Yeah, I think every single one of us. I want to share a brief story. This is about my wife, Mary Kay, who would love to be here today, but she's suffering with her parents in Hawaii. (laughs) I'm not feeling sorry for her. But Mary Kay was raised a Methodist. And she knew all about Jesus and knew all the stories, but she never knew Jesus personally. It wasn't until her late 20s that God's spirit tapped her on the shoulder and said, maybe you need to know me. And a friend suggested that she read more than a carpenter. She read that book and then prayed the sinner's prayer at the end of that book. And I wish she were here to share the story because she said her life was changed. She was made new in so many rich, wonderful ways. But she knew she couldn't be a Christian by herself. So she went on a journey to find a church. Now, if you know my wife, you'll understand this part of the story. So she had a plan. She would worship at the church and then meet the pastor and interview him. She had three simple questions. Who is Jesus Christ? What is sin? And how is one saved? Pretty simple, right? So she went to four different churches, worshiped with them, and then went to the pastors and interviewed them. She came back from those four pastor interviews just going, I may be new to all this, but it just doesn't quite align with what Scripture says. And then she worshipped at what was Sumner Presbyterian Church, now Faith Covenant. And then she met Pastor Ron. And Ron answered each one of those questions succinctly and biblically. And she walked away thinking she was done with that interview, going, I think I found my church home. But Ron said, wait, wait, wait. Don't you want to pray? Five pastors she interviewed. Ron was the only one who said, Don't you want to pray? That became her reason for becoming and coming to this church. Now, for me, some of you are still here. You prayed me into the kingdom. (laughs) A bit of a reprobate. But I began coming shortly after Mary Kay did. And we were blessed to be under Ron's leadership for nearly a decade. And and during much of the latter part of that decade, I was beginning to sense God calling me into the pastoral ministry. And it was because of Ron's leadership, his encouragement, his mentoring, um, that I sensed that call. And I was ordained in his church just two years after Ron retired. Ron has touched so many of our lives. And again, we are honored that we are celebrating his life here. And what I would really say is his church. He served so many in so many rich, wonderful ways. But my goodness, 1968 to 1991. Thank you for allowing us that honor. Please join with me in prayer. Ah, Lord God, we thank you for who you are in each of our lives. Lord, that grace, that love, that forgiveness that you offer in and through your son. And that life eternal, which we now know for Ron, that's where he is. Lord, he has passed from this life into that life eternal you promised. And we thank you for that, that gift that is offered to all of us. And Lord, we we also know that there are many here today that are grieving. Grieving Ron's death. You meant so much to so, so many people. And we pray your spirit will lead and guide all of us to give comfort and peace. And Lord, we pray this service today, done in your name, Your spirit will lead and guide, and it truly will give you the honor and glory as we celebrate Ron's life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If able, please stand. We're going to sing together for all the saints. The words will be on the screen, so please stand if able.
Good morning. My name is Hannah Snelling. I am one of Ron's 14 grandchildren. Ronald Bruce Snelling went home to the Lord on October 30th. He laid down for his Sunday afternoon nap and woke up in the arms of Jesus. He was born to Buford and Gertrude on March 28, 1926 in Yakima, Washington, where he grew up helping on the family farm and working alongside his dad, helping to build Camp Gormley. In 1944, at the age of 18, he joined the Navy and left for boot camp just after high school graduation. He loved to tell stories of his days on the ship. It was in the Navy that he first felt finally called to be a pastor. He was discharged in 1946 and married Pat Stewart just one week later. <laughs> they moved to Spokane, Washington, where he attended Whitworth College, after which they moved to San Anselmo, California, where he attended seminary. He pastored churches in Petersburg, Alaska, Terrace Heights, Washington, and this very church here in Sumner. He had learned carpentry skills from his father, and they were put to really good use as he built churches in all three locations. He retired from Sumner Presbyterian Church in 1991, but he ended up serving as an interim pastor in two more churches before retiring again when he was 70 in 1996. He was preceded in death by his parents, his sister Geraldine, and his wife, Pat. After her death, he celebrated that she had gone home to the Lord, but he missed her greatly and was ready to be with her again. Grandpa had an impact on countless people, as we all know. He shared his love for the Lord easily, and he had a contagious faith. All five of his children, Jeanette, Mark, Colleen, Rondi, and Mary Beth, along with their families, are believers. That is quite a legacy of faith. I grew up going to Camp Gormley, a place that my grandfather loved and helped to build from the ground up, and it's where I gave my life to the Lord when I was 12. There are 14 of us grandchildren, and many of us are involved in either professional or volunteer ministries. Grandma and Grandpa taught us, by example, the importance and calling of a life lived for the Lord. While we will miss him, I am grateful that when the Lord called him home, all of us who loved him, felt joy at the thought of him being welcomed into heaven with the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, for he truly was a good and faithful servant of our king. Thank you, Hannah. I'm Nick Krantz, another family member. I had the privilege of marrying the oldest offspring, Jeanette. In fact, I am very indebted to my father-in-law because if it wasn't for him, Jeanette wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for Jeanette, I wouldn't be here. So I owe much to him. But also, he was such a blessing to me and such an inspiration to our mutual call as pastors. In a moment, you will have an opportunity, some of you, if you'd like to share briefly some way uh, Ron touched your life and uh, some anecdote, and we can just be blessed by that with all glory going to the Lord. Uh, but first, I'd like to call Hannah back up, and she's going to share some thoughts from her dad and uh, Ron's son, Mark. I'm excited to hear what we all have to say. So I hope that I can share from my dad without, you know, breaking down and losing it, but we'll see. This is what my dad, Ron's one son, <laughs> had to say. We are a rich family. You don't see us wearing Rolex watches or driving up in armor-plated Mercedes, but we are rich beyond measure in family heritage. I don't say that with pride, none of us would. I say it rather with immeasurable gratitude and with humility. It is not of our own doing. Mom and Dad would both say it was not of their doing either. All we can attribute it to is the incredible grace of God poured out on everyday people who are desperately dependent on the strength and power of God and whatever his gifts his spirit has given us. Given as an act of grace, 
not having been earned and given for the simple purpose of serving God and others. I've been reminded again of how deep the wealth of our heritage goes in the last couple of years, but more so in the last two weeks as I've been reading some of the journals that Dad wrote. He wrote with humor, joy, and gratitude about his growing up years on the fruit ranch in Yakima. About his childhood home, he wrote, It was small initially, at times were, as times were hard and we were trying to get a start on a fruit ranch during the Great Depression. The house was built by my father, starting with an old chicken house and adding to it. Until I was in high school, there was no electricity or running water. Light came from kerosene lamps, and water was in a cistern under the kitchen and pumped up with a hand pump. The radio was powered by a car battery. Baths were on Saturday nights only and in a tub brought into the kitchen. The bathroom was an outhouse out in the orchard. Dad later added a bathroom for me and one for my sister. I liked the built-in bunk bed and my own desk, closet, etc. Dad did not resent those humble beginnings. Instead, he spoke often with warmth and humor about his parents and his grandparents and the larger clan of cousins he grew up with. I always saw him as an incredibly strong man who would do just about anything, but he did not see himself in that way at all. He wrote, When in junior high or high school, I heard Jesus calling for me to go into what we called full-time service. A reluctance came into my heart. I told Jesus that I didn't have anything to give to him, no talents, money, or abilities. He said, give me your life and I will supply all your needs. He has done far more than that. When I think back over all that he has allowed me to do, I am amazed. Dad talked often of how he thought that calling would be as a medical missionary to Africa. Africa, because he thought he could also indulge his love for hunting there. <laughs> However, when he was in the Navy, he felt the Lord made it clear from the spiritual needs of his fellow sailors, and I think in no small fact, part by the fact that they often sought him out for counseling, that God was calling him into the ministry. He went on to say, I could not read music, was not a speaker, had no administrative ability, and certainly no financial ability. The first Sunday in Petersburg, Alaska, my heart was in my throat as I preached to Pat and four Native women. Those first months of preaching were a terrible ordeal. I prayed for the Lord to somehow get me out of that. Each Monday, I began worrying about getting ready for the next week's services. Then the Lord said to me, just think of me when you're up there in the pulpit. Preaching became easier then. And then much later, a thrill to see what the Lord was going to reveal in a given passage of scripture. The Lord has supplied all of the spiritual gifts needed for the ministry. It's almost like standing to one side and watching what the Lord is doing as an observer. He's healed people of cancer, back pain, heart problems, fear, worry, and personal relationship and marital problems in my sight. He's healed churches of hatred, fear, financial problems, sexual problems, and spiritual apathy, to my knowledge. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are poured out to, to, to meet every need, but the greatest gift is his abiding presence. Why he would want to live in me is a marvel of his love. The assurance of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ sets me free to serve him as long as I have breath. It is embarrassing to have people talk about my service. What they should do is praise the Lord for his strength and power in our lives. When reflecting on his courtship with mom, he described their humble beginnings, how in tune they were with one another, spiritually, economically, mentally, and in life goals. We could be sneaky as children. Our two-story house in Petersburg was heated by the kitchen stove and the wood-burning stove in the living room. So there was a grate in the floor of our upstairs bedroom that was right over the kitchen to let the heat take a bit of the edge off of the Alaskan nights in the bedrooms. Jeanette and I would sneak out of bed and lay by the grate and listen to mom and dad as they wrestled with the challenges of life. If we couldn't hear well enough there, we would sneak partway down the stairs and listen from there. <laughs> we never heard them arguing. What we heard was dad describing some challenges he was wrestling with and mom counseling and encouraging him. Though, as I said, I always thought of him as incredibly strong, able to do anything, he didn't see himself that way at all. In fact, he saw himself as desperately dependent on the Lord. 
One of the clearest memories is wondering why he was always whispering to himself in the mornings. Finally, I asked Mom, why does Dad always whisper to himself when he's shaving and getting dressed in the morning? And she said, I imagine he's praying. We all knew what one of his favorite hymns was because he would break out in it at unpredictable times. Half the time we thought he was being funny, but it reflected his deepest desire from his earliest days to his final days. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk closer to thee. One of the most vivid stories he told was of being up on the mountain across from Petersburg where he loved to hunt. The fog rolled in so thick he couldn't see back across to his home island to keep his bearings. He thought he knew the way well enough that he could get back down the mountain to where he had left his boat. But he finally realized he was so lost that he began praying. Suddenly a little window opened in the fog and he realized he was on the backside of the mountain and that the Lord was telling him that he was with him. He ended up spending the night on the mountain until the fog cleared early the next morning and he could get back home. Of course, that night proved to be greatly to greatly enhance my mom's prayer life as well. <laughs> it sometimes seemed the more intense the crisis in any moment, the calmer he was. We were walking back to our campsite at Lake Wenatchee one hot, dry summer night and came on a campsite of a family that had evidently gone for a walk and left a can of kerosene too close to the fire, and it was on fire and spreading. We ran to the campsite, and I grabbed a bucket of water, and just as I poured it on the burning can, I heard Dad say, not water. Of course, that only spread the fire as the kerosene floats on the spreading water. But Dad ran up and began throwing dirt on it and extinguished it and seemed completely calm as he did so. As I got to know him more deeply in recent years, I realized he was probably not so calm on the inside, but he seemed to always project strength and calm to those around him. Dad fought some real battles in life, probably more than we will ever know, from going through high school with the war before him to going off to war within three months of his 18th birthday and right after graduation, to arriving in Alaska with two children and one on the way, only to find the new church building they had told him was there did not exist, to walking into the manse and seeing the floor all along one side had separated and was hanging down several inches and would need to be rebuilt. Mom said she broke down crying at seeing that. He fought the deep disappointment when after their furlough after eight years in Alaska, there was no openings for them to return. His final battle over the last many months was perhaps his greatest. He desperately missed mom. The Bible says the two shall become one, and that was clearly true of them. Dad seemed to credit mom with being the only reason he could have any real impact. He described her as the one who opened the door to relationships, connected with people and giving him insight, with being the one with the memory for names and on and on. But even with how desperately he missed her, he continued to the end to demonstrate his love for people, caring for them, and especially for his family, and above all, for the Lord. We've had some sweet times of him telling the story, his stories, laughing at the things together, and him eagerly looking forward to being with the Lord and with Mom again. He often said, I wonder what incredible things she's seeing right now. And now we wonder what great things they are seeing and their joy at sharing that together again. Thank you, Keep it. Thank you Hannah and Mark. And being in the family, I can totally say amen to that. That is so true about Dad Snelling. This is opportunity now for some we share briefly how uh, Ron Snelling touched your life. We have a couple of roving mics, I believe, that can uh, just raise your hand. I'll call on you, and you can share briefly uh, about how Ron has touched your life. Here, I see that hand right, right there. John Zimmerman and my wife, Martha, we arrived in the vicinity of the Snellings, in Natchez in 1965 to discover that there was a great tradition there that the pastors and their wives would gather in one church for a potluck lunch every month. <coughs> Eight 
families met in that way. We were able to take our little ones with us along the way, and for three years we had probably the closest fellowship of any Presbyterian group of pastors I have ever seen, mm. and Ron and Pat were at the very center of it. Ron had been there longer than we had, and so when our uh, uh, the pastor of Yakima First, John Gordon, went home to be with the Lord, he left instructions that his library should be given in turn to several of the people in that group. Ron was number three, and I was number four, and he generously left some great books for me. Mm. I am so grateful for that experience, which was, has been the richest pastoral experience I have experienced in all of my ministry. Great. Thank you for sharing Nick, that. we've got Pastor Steve here. Yes. Yeah, my name is Steve Starr. I followed Ron as a senior pastor in this church, and I, I got to say, I wouldn't have been at this church if it wasn't for Ron. And, and part of that reason is that because of his teaching, because of his prayer life, he developed some spiritual giants in the church. And, and they had enough wisdom to seek God when I was applying because uh, the search committee had narrowed the candidates down to three, and I was not one of them. They brought the three in, and they heard them and talked to them, and they preached, and they couldn't agree upon any one of the three, so they thought, okay, obviously God is not calling us to any of those three. Well, about that time, I called again and said, hey, what's going on? Where are you? And uh, they called me in, and right away, both of us knew the church, and, and myself and my wife knew that uh, we were the one for Sumner Presbyterian Church. And so, you know, my, my days here at the church, every day I would thank Ron for the work that he did, the, the foundation that he laid with the people that were here at the church. So I, I'm blessed to be or have been here because of him. The, the second thing I would say, preachers always have three points, by the way. The, the second thing I would say is he was such a good counselor to me because, I, you know, there were times I'd go to him and I'd say, Ron what do I do about so-and-so? You know, and of course, he knew the people very well in the church, and he'd just kind of look at me, he'd kind of smile and then laugh and say, oh, just love them. And so that got me by uh, a number of different people in the church, none of you who are sitting here, obviously, I'm talking about. <laughs> the third thing I would say, and I would hold this against Ron, he had this conviction that once he was not the pastor of this church, that he shouldn't be involved in the church to interfere. I guess he had had a bad experience with a church where he followed a pastor, and the pastor still wanted to be the pastor. So I would ask him, you know, would you like to do this funeral? Would you like to take part in this? Would you like to do that? Oh, no, you're their pastor. And so if I hold anything against him, it's that he wouldn't take more part in the church uh, as he left. But I'm blessed because of that as well. Wonderful man. Great. Thanks, Steve, and Ron forgives you. <laughs> oh, okay, yes, go ahead. Uh, we were church shopping, and George drove by this church and, said, and came home and said, oh, there's a church down in Sumner. And so we came one Sunday, and Ron was preaching, and we didn't say anything to each other until we got out into the car, and we just looked at each other. We said, this is where we're staying. We could listen to this guy all the time. Loved him from day wow. one. And one other thing, when we were putting, Ron preached love, and he, every word came right from scripture. He didn't deviate. There was, he was always praying, and there was always scripture. And we were putting a roof on part of the building, and things didn't go the way they were supposed to, and it was slow and way behind. And the rains were coming. And Ron told us all to pray. We were to pray every day at, that there wouldn't be any rain and we would get that roof on the building. Midway through the week, we live out in Graham. I looked out my kitchen window. It was pouring, pouring. I went, oh, no. And, I, and I've been praying all week. I called down to church, and Jack Davis picked up the phone, and, and she said, it's not raining here. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> Amen. Great. Back here. Get close to it. Get close to it. Yeah. 
Um, Steve, I think you're wrong, because I'm probably one of those people that you talk to Ron about, so <laughs> somebody here. <laughs> 30-some years ago, I was searching for a church, and I was kind of lost in my church life. I'd been in a church I wasn't happy with, and I just wasn't sure that being in a church was something I wanted to do. And my mother said, oh, come down to Sumner Presbyterian. I said, you know, I think I need to try to be a Baptist or something else, because I just, the last Presbyterian church didn't work for me. So I did come down, and um, I came a couple Sundays, and then I made an appointment to sit down with Ron. And I'm kind of an extrovert, so he heard everything that had me all in my tail in a knot. And, and he just sat and listened to me, and he said, you know, he said, God's got this all covered. He said, you don't have to worry about this. And he just, this man was such a mentor in my life, and he became my gentle giant. Mm. And that's how I looked at Ron my whole time that I knew him. He was my gentle giant. It didn't matter what happened in my life. If I could talk to Ron, everything was going to be okay. There was just that something about him that it didn't matter, and there were times when he had to discipline me because I was a bad girl. I know nobody that knows me can believe that, but that does happen occasionally. But he was this, just this wonderful man that had this gift, and this faith he had was so huge. When Ron was in the room, you felt God's presence. He was just, he was just that. And when I heard that he had gone home, my first vision was him sitting down, holding on to Pat, and just sitting at the feet of Jesus, and both of them just smiling and so happy to be together again. And so it took away that sorrow. Yes, will I miss the man? He changed my life. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be the person I am today without Ron. And um, I'm just so blessed that he was someone that God put in my life to give me a better direction so that I could do more work for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. See you. And, oh, over here first, right there. Hey, Nick. Yes. Uh, I'm Dean Barnes. Um, risen, I uh, have, I love, might be a little bit different than some of you in that I don't remember Mark, excuse me, uh, Pastor Snelling as a pastor so much. Um, Mark and I were um, best friends in high school, grade school, college. I was his first roommate, Sue. So. <laughs> 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 um, and I don't remember the church as much as I remember the house. Because I was in that house on a regular basis. My brother, who's the same age as Colleen, was in that house. So I remember the Snellings more as a family and the bait of the acceptance that we had with our family, with their family. And so, so many of you remember him from a church setting. I remember him from a house and a family setting. And he was a great man. I really appreciated Mark and Colleen, Jeanette, Mary Beth, Rhonda, all knowing them. Got a chance to meet Nick when he was in college as well. So um, that's a special place for me. And I know Mark and I have gone through a lot of things together, um, experiences, and uh, always cherish the, the welcomeness I felt in that whole house. Thank you. Dean, good to see you, and thanks for sharing. Yeah. Right there. Hi. Um, came to the church in 1970. We were still in the old building mm -hmm. before we built this one. I helped put the roof on <laughs> when it wasn't raining. Uh, but Ron, we were in a Sunday school class and Ron was teaching it and I had a question and he gave me, when I was helpful, he just gave me First John 1, 9 and that has stuck with me forever mm -hmm. because God is so loving and and i still remember ron just sitting there and giving that to me mm -hmm. with such love mm -hmm. and gentleness and yeah the power of god's word yeah thank you for sharing and uh, over here oh there we go Go first with the mic and then over here. Well, my name is Silva Downing, and I was Ron's secretary when we were in the old church, and I think he mm, might have had a secretary for a few months, but it didn't work out. And I had secretarial experience, and I was a at-home mother, so I thought this part-time work would be great. And so I would climb the 
the stairs and go up the side of the building and his desk was here and mine was here. We looked at each other all day. <laughs> and, um, and then when we moved out of that church um, and came over here, um, it was, uh, he was a wonderful preacher, but he was a, a number one counselor of people. And Ron spent many hours counseling. And so I was here until 8 o'clock at night sometimes <laughs> because he would never counsel unless I was in the office. He wanted, he was very, very um, considerate of improper problems or whatever. And so I would call my husband at home and say, Jerry, I won't be home till oh, about 8 o'clock, so make yourself a toasted cheese sandwich. <laughs> but he had such an effect on my husband. And Jerry loved Ron so much. They would go up to Enumclaw and get a permit and go up in the woods and cut wood. And we had a big old fir tree in the back of the yard and he came and helped Jerry. Jerry was not, um, what, what should I say? He didn't speak uh, Christianly sometimes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Ron just loved him and accepted him and he and Vine Langdon prayed for Jerry every day. And it just was in the last, oh, I'd say five years that, of Jerry's life that he started coming to church. But um, I really, Ron made a, made a wonderful impression on him. And also, we were very old-fashioned in this church. <laughs> We had um, a dictaphone, and he would do his sermons on the dictaphone after he got tired of writing. We went to the dictaphone, and one day he said, Silva, are you hard of hearing? He says, I can hear you. The door was shut. He said, I can hear you with the dictaphone. And over here, there was a hearing mobile he said, I think you better go over there at lunchtime and get your ears checked. <laughs> and I had to keep, you know, repeating and repeating, you know, the, find out what was going on with the servant. And then we typed on those blue things, Jack, what were they called? Stencils? And, huh? Mimeograph. Mimeograph. Yeah. yeah, oh. And you couldn't see your mistakes always, and so I know there were several bulletins that had mistakes. And... Um, but it was just kind of a, then you grind the bulletins out and, and you, were, you were the duster, you were the clean the kitchen, you were everything when you were a secretary years ago. So, but I had the honor of being with him for over 10 years and just when my husband was um, in Bremerton in the hospital, I went and had lunch with Ron, and right then I kind of realized that Pat was the extrovert and Ron was the introvert. Mm -hmm. He had a hard time meeting people there in, in his the facility where he was at. It was beautiful, but he just missed Pat terribly, and so I am so happy for him. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy for my husband that he will see Ron, and Ron will know that he finally made it to heaven. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you, Selva. appreciate that much. Over here. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Lance Williams. I'm the pastor at Evergreen Church out in Graham. Um, Ron served two interims, and one of them was at Evergreen just before I got there. Ever Evergreen had gone through a very difficult patch and had to... Um, have a pastor terminated, and as a part of that settlement, they paid about nine months' worth of salary 
and they couldn't afford an, uh, an interim. And Ron lived across the street from the church, and uh, Ron said, I would, I'll do it. And the, I think the presbytery said you have to be paid, so he said, I'll take a dollar. And <clears throat> Ron and Pat loved that church through a very, very difficult time. Mm-hmm. And I have been uh, so thankful. In fact, once I showed up, uh, he said, I can't come back to Evergreen for a year. And so I pestered him every month, and it got close to the year, and I said, the day it hits a year, we're going to put a tax strip across your driveway, and if you try to drive out of this driveway, instead of walking across to the church, you're going to have four flat tires. And so I got to know Ron really well through the years, but very thankful for that. Second thing is I was in a small group with Ron, and another member of our small group is here, and we met uh, monthly and um, just loved Ron's his faith and um, his encouragement. Mm-hmm. Quickly, a third one. Uh, Ron was a part of our prayer team up at the church, and every Monday night, Ron and Pat, uh, Joanna and Bob Hadfield and Herb Gorman and others filtered through through the years um, were up there praying for the church, and they kept... Um, a notebook of all of the prayers and all the answered prayers, and people's lives were transformed because of those people praying. This week, um, uh, one of those ladies um, whose husband had already died, um, she died this last week as well, and her service uh, is on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so her and Ron are already seeing their spouses up in heaven, mm-hmm. and there's a big celebration going on up there. Thank so anyhow, thank you very much. Thank you, Lance. Appreciate that. Any others before we move on? Yes, one more right here. Uh, My name is Judy Hudson, and uh, Ron had such an impact on my my life and on my parents' life. Uh, When my brother was suffering from uh, depression, I was out of work. Uh, My brother would call me up, and he'd be not understanding why he was going through these things, and I'd as soon as I got off the phone, I'd call Ron, and I'd say, okay, Ron, what scriptures can I give him? And he would list off these scriptures for me, and I'd call my brother back, and I'd give them to him, and he was just so gracious and so helpful. Mm-hmm. And there was one time when um, I was in a car accident, and I was sent to the ER, and when I, while I was laying there, all of a sudden, Ron walked in, and I said, well, what are you doing here? And he said, well, the chaplain that was supposed to be here had the night off, and so I came instead. And mm-hmm. I thought, God put you here for me. And so he prayed for me, and then the first thing he said was, so um, what color do you want your next car? And I thought that just took such a relief off of my, mm-hmm. my what was going on. And him and Pat, um, when my dad was in his last stage of, of cancer, they came every Sunday after church and visited with my dad and mom, and it was just such a wonderful thing to have that compassion and everything that was there. So. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing. Okay, we'll take one more right here. And then uh, we'll move on. Thank you. This is really giving a good kaleidoscope of Ron's life. My name is Loretta Garini Shoemake, and Ron married two of my children and buried two of my husband, so he meant very, very much to me. Yeah. So helped me through a lot of hard times, too. Amen. You know, um, following the service, we will be... Uh, dismissed to the well-named Snelling Room for a reception. And that's a good time to just to share some more of how much Ron has impacted our lives, how much we thank the Lord for him. Ron would be the first to say, it's all by God's grace. All the glory goes to the Lord because God is loving and God is faithful. And we're going to be singing of that now. Great is thy faithfulness. And if you're able to stand, let's stand as we sing.
My father-in-law treasured the Word of God. And as we come to this point, I, I was kind of wrestling a little bit, what, what scriptures could I pick as we, we pay honor to him? He loved the whole Bible, so it did cross my mind to maybe just read through the whole Bible. <laughs> <laughs> then I realized probably by the time I was done, half of us would be with him anyway. So, <laughs> so I've uh, canceled that idea, and uh, what I've done is picked four of his favorite verses or passages, beginning with Psalm 127 and the first part of verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Then well-known verses in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Then, Gospel of John, chapter 14, and verses 16 through 18. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then in Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 4, the first two verses. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We've shared many, many wonderful things about my father-in-law, and they are all true. But I also think it's time for a reality check. (laughs) He was human. One daughter said that he used to be a scary driver. Now... (laughs) I'm not going to mention which daughter because reality is probably all four of them have. Uh, I heard this story and I thought, wow, this is amazing uh, to do. But but one month, Ron got three speeding tickets in one month. (laughs) I thought, that really takes some effort. Uh, And so I'm figuring he probably is in the Washington State Patrol Hall of Fame. And I also remember uh, back early in our marriage, it was in the 70s, and and Jeanette and I were living up in the Seattle area. My folks lived down in Southern California, and we uh, were going to go down and visit my folks over Christmas time. Our car was kind of an older car, maybe not quite as reliable, and uh, my in-laws had a couple of cars, and so my father-in-law offered us to take his Camaro, and... uh, it didn't take much arm twisting for us to say yes. Now, I'm not saying that this was a souped-up car, but the only times I've gone faster from the Seattle area to Southern Cal has been in a Boeing jet. (laughs) And not by much. (laughs) I mean, that thing was souped up. Maybe that was when he set his record for speeding tickets. I'm not real sure. Uh, But I share that with you to to share this, something I really admired about Dad. He did really have a deep, deep faith in Christ as Lord, not just as Savior, but as Lord, which means that Ron had a humble, teachable heart. He learned from the Lord to slow down, and not just driving. The record was set many, many decades ago. He learned to slow down and listen, listen to the Lord. Those verses from Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 that I read, uh, they are repeated by many church-going people as favorite verses. I'm sure you recognize them. Sometimes, though, I I have to admit, I I hear people say that almost superficially. We'll say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. But with almost 50 years of knowing my father-in-law, I can say that he truly believed and lived into those verses. He really did trust in the Lord. He didn't lean on his own understanding. He did acknowledge the Lord in all his ways, and he made 
straight Ron's paths. I think about how Ron was led by the Lord and really learned to trust him to provide. One of the times that we were really blessed, Jeanette and I, was right after uh, my father-in-law, or my father, uh, died very suddenly towards Christmas time in 1990. And uh, so we were in a time of grief anyway, and then just two, months, two weeks later after that, our van uh, had a, just a complete engine blow up. And we were just kind of in a cash strip time and weren't sure what to do. God said, we'll take care of that, and he provided for us. He knew God would provide, and he provided for us through his generosity. And yet God, uh, Ron had to learn. He had to grow into this deep, deep trust. Uh, as was referred to earlier as Hannah was reading Mark's comments, when the Lord first put that clear call in Ron's heart to go into the ministry, Ron looked first at his inadequacy. Who, me? How can I serve you, Lord? I, I don't have the gifts needed to serve you. And initially, he did think about the medical field. Maybe, maybe he'd go into the medical field. But again, as we acknowledge the Lord, he will direct our paths. And the Lord directed Ron into the Navy. And in the Navy, Ron's still thinking the medical field. But God redirected and redirected him into the pastoral ministry where the influence he's had has just been, well, as we've heard today, just uh, immeasurable. God has directed his paths. Ron also knew that, that as Christians, we have two callings. We have this shared calling to follow Christ as our Savior and Lord. But within that shared calling, we have unique callings as the Holy Spirit guides and directs us into particular ways how we serve the Lord. And that is what Ron sensed. As he knew God was calling him into pastoral ministry, he knew he had to be equipped to serve the Lord and that the Lord would provide that equipping. And so it was his heart's desire, what we read in Ephesians 4, uh, that Ron wanted to live that calling in pastoral ministry worthy of that calling he'd received. And so he had this humble, gentle heart that he was given. I was reading last week again. It's kind of almost like an autobiography, his, his book here. We have this ministry. And I saw here in, in this, it was just fascinating to read how at every step of the way as he was following the Lord, he would trust the Lord to guide and direct him. He knew the Lord's grace was sufficient for him. And because of that humility he had of being totally open and ter- dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he recognized that the Holy Spirit would fill him and guide him and lead him. And that's why, as he says in this book, John chapter 14 to 16 was so special to him. That's Jesus' upper room discourse, a major focus of which is the Holy Spirit will fill you and guide you as my followers. And as he saw that, he knew that the Holy Spirit would be the one who would get him through every situation, would guide him through every situation. I want to read one little paragraph here in the bottom, page 24 that he wrote here. He says, Now you can see why I love John 14, 15, and 16. The church is weak today because we have sought directions from human wisdom and have put more effort and trust into human management than in seeking to be led by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why do we persist in doing this when Jesus clearly tells us the way in John 14, 12 to 21? Ron lived what he preached there of following the Holy Spirit. Thus, my father-in-law became a great man of prayer, a great man of just seeking and trusting the guidance of the Lord, is what what some of you have testified about in his counseling. And I remember several times early in the ministry, since Jeanette and I didn't live too far from them when they were here in Sumner, we would often visit with them. And usually it was just family visits. But since I was into the pastorate then, uh, more than once I'd kind of take my father-in-law aside and said, by the way, (laughs) there's something I didn't learn in seminary. (laughs) How do you deal with this issue? Or how do you deal with that type of of person? His counsel was always so helpful. But the thing that he shared with me early on 
that was most effective in my life. It was such a simple word, but the Lord took that and uh, just brought it into the depths of my being. Was I, I said to him, Dad, how, how do you come up with illustrations when you're preaching your sermons? Week after week, how do you keep coming up with illustrations so that the word of God is alive? And he said, well, you can always get a book of illustrations. In fact, after that visit, he sent me a book of illustrations, which I maybe used one or two out of. But the real key, he said, is you pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the illustrations. I thought, well, that sounds too simple. <laughs> but it took. And you know what developed, and it's, I, I shared this recently in another setting, that as I prepare to preach uh, on Sunday, as I get into that week, I have actually have an anticipation and excitement as to how the Holy Spirit is going to bring something to, to life, some illustration, something I see or hear or read, and it's just right. And I thank my father-in-law for just giving me such a simple but so true an illustration of how to let the Lord lead. Because Ron's trust was in the Lord, he lived the truth of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And as you heard, God uniquely gifted Ron, not only in pastoral ministry, but he had carpentry skills. And in all three of his churches, they wound up having building programs. But he wanted to make sure that in the fundraising, people understood that the building is for the glory of God, and we need to do this by trusting in the Lord. So in his book, he points out how there was a simple three-step process he, he would encourage in each of these congregations. The first step is the congregation would be asked to pray, is there really a need? And if the answer was yes, then step two is the congregation would study Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And then he would have them ask, how rich is God? And then thirdly, each person would ask in prayer, Lord, what is my part in this? But I think perhaps the most important house that the Lord built through my father-in-law was the house of his family. Ron was loving and faithful to his wife, his children, and their children. Faithful to pray for them and leave a legacy of commitment to and devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ. Ten years ago, almost ten years ago, it was Christmas time, 2006, we had a big snilling gathering up in Tukwila. And I, I can still remember, in fact, we were looking at pictures of this the other day. And it, it was good to be together, but at the end of our time, uh, Ron got up and he shared with the family his testimony of God's faithfulness, God's love, God's call in his life. And as we heard this, and he shared this with humor, he shared it with illustrations, and then he gave us some encouragement to continue to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him, and he will set straight our paths. It was a wonderful time. It was a true illustration of who he really was. I want to read one more thing as we come to a close here from his book. It's actually from his introduction, the last paragraph of this introduction. He says this, in John 21, 15 to 19, Jesus challenges Peter and us to feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. What a thrill it is to take a passage of scripture and with prayer see the spirit unfold its deep meaning. Then after more prayer to share what the Lord gives us with people in the congregation. It is an added thrill to see people respond to Jesus Christ with new hope and peace in their lives. And that's what you folks have been testifying to today. That was what thrilled Ron's souls to see the Lord Jesus Christ work his grace in people's lives. My father-in-law's life on earth is over. Yet by God's grace, fueled with thankful memories, of this man of God, his legacy lives on through us who in submission to the Holy Spirit dedicate our lives to be lived in a manner worthy of the calling we've received in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together.
Gracious Heavenly Father, we owe it all to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's all by grace. And what a wonderful example of this truth we have seen in Ron Snelling, where you took a man who knew in himself he was weak, but through Christ he was strong. We want to thank you for the unique way you crafted him and then through him brought such blessing, such grace, such peace in Christ to so many people beyond just his family who were most touched by him. And Lord, we give you all the praise because that's exactly where Ron would want that to go. All praise to you. We thank you, Lord, for his life, his testimony, his witness, the legacy that he leaves. And then we thank you that you are the God of all comfort. And so we pray for your continuing grace of comfort, of healthy grieving for his family and for his friends, that we too may cling hold to that hope of the resurrection that we have in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and Lord of all, the peace that he brings us. We know now and affirm, according to your word, that Ron and all who have confessed Christ are with you in glory. And there is our hope, and there is our testimony. And so, Lord, thank you for your comfort. Thank you for the testimony of this man. And we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be faithful to live our lives in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received and to let our lives bear witness to the hope, the life, even the eternal life that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray this in his name with thanksgiving and all God's people said, amen. As was mentioned earlier, Ron would frequently hum, sing, just a closer walk with thee because that was his, his life's testimony. And we're going to close with singing just a closer walk with thee. Let's stand as we sing.
been good to be together, and uh, I'd like to say after the following of the benediction, uh, if we let the family go out first, and then you can greet them in the smelling room. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God the Father who sent him, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with us now and throughout eternity. Amen.